down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where proclaimed came from sin, I cried. There to my heart was the blood of life. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood of Bow 
Well, amen. Take out your copy of God's Word, please, and open it to the book of James. And you can put a marker there or a ribbon there, because we're going to be in the book of James for a little while together. James chapter 1 today. James chapter 1. Robert Sheffrey was a Methodist circuit-riding preacher uh, who lived from 1820 to 1902. You know, the circuit-riding preachers, they went out by horseback and they rode from place to place preaching the gospel, preaching the word of God. And uh, he was a circuit-riding preacher in the mountains. And one day he was called to a mountain cabin uh, where a family lived. Now, he had previously tried to lead this family to saving faith in Jesus without success. Uh, but he's called to this cabin. And on this particular day when he rode up to the cabin, things were different. You see, a rattlesnake had bitten a member of the family. And there seemed to be very little hope. And so Sheffy, Robert Sheffrey, uh, he enters the house. He bows down on his knees and he offers this prayer. Oh, Lord, we, th we do thank thee for rattlesnakes. If it had not been for rattlesnakes, they would have never called on you. Send a rattlesnake to bite Bill. One to bite John. And send a great big one to bite the old man. An unusual but effective prayer, nonetheless. And that's the kind of life that Robert Sheffy lived. But have you ever thanked God for your rattlesnakes? What I mean by that, have you, have you ever thanked God for your problems? Now, I know that's a strange question, but I want to show you today from the Scriptures that trials and problems and the issues that we deal with in life, they're actually a blessing. They're actually a blessing to believers. If they're handled correctly, think of it, that problem you're struggling with, that trial that you're dealing with right now, it can actually be a real blessing to you in your life. But don't take my word for it. I want you to see it in the Bible. I want you to see it here in the book of James. Now, we're actually beginning a new sermon series today on the book of James, and we're calling it Practical Christian Living. James is one of the most practical, down-to-earth books in all of the Bible. In fact, I sat down this past week and I just read from chapter 1, verse 1 to the end of the book and I just jotted down some of the things that James talks about here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I jotted down. Uh, it talks about dealing with trials, how to get wisdom, dealing with temptation, our listening, our talking, anger, how to treat our neighbor, helping the needy, wars and fighting, prayer, pride, dealing with the devil... It deals with our planning, that is our calendar. It deals with our business, money, the coming of the Lord, suffering and sickness. And that's just observations just from reading the book, just reading the verses and jotting down the different things that he talks about. Now, this book speaks to us where we live. Now, I've given you a handout this morning. You should have found it there on your pew as you came in or in your chair, uh, choir members. And that's there to encourage you if you have never taken notes, you might want to jot down some notes. The one side there is mostly blank for you to take notes. Now, I know a lot of you already use notebooks and different things. I don't want to discourage you from that. Uh, but if you need something to write with on notes, that's there. If you flip it over, I want you to see that I've given you a family discussion guide. Uh, there's a suggested memory verse. There's a key thought. And there's some, some uh, discussion starters. I gave you five of them. Uh, you can discuss it all at once. You can use them uh, one evening at the supper table or wherever it might be or bedtime. Uh, you can talk about them all at the same time or one each evening or whatever. 
And I also put on there the section that we're going to be studying the next time. And you can read that and kind of be prepared of where we're going. And, and let me just tell you, you'll get out of that what you put into it. Uh, if you use it, it'll bless you. If you don't, then it won't. Uh, but we want to encourage you. I want to be as practical as I can in delivering the truth from this practical book. And I want to encourage you uh, to discuss these things in your family. Uh, however your family. It might be you, so you're using this personally. It might be you and your uh, spouse uh, at home. Maybe you're empty nester, so you two talk about it. You may have children still at home. You can talk about it as a family and really kind of get down these truths and how do they really play out in your life, in your family situation, and what you're dealing with. Now, I'll just tell you, probably that'll be in the bulletin next week. All right, so look for it in the bulletin, unless I'm not done with it. And it might be on your pew, okay? But you can look each week. It'll be in your chair or pew or in the bulletin. And uh, we're going to go through this. Now, before we can talk about trials, let me give you some very, very quick introductory material. Uh, and then we're going to talk about how to handle trials. Look at the first verse there. Uh, in it, we find the author and we find the audience. James 1.1, 1, 1, James, a bondservant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So you have the author, and the author, of course, is James. It's James. Now you know that there are more than one, there's more than one James in the scripture, but the general consensus is this is James, the brother of the Lord Jesus. Uh, that's the one that the God used to write this book. The brother of the Lord Jesus, James. And the audience, it's the twelve tribes scattered abroad. In other words, these are Jews that are living outside of Palestine. And then we have the greetings. And it simply says, greetings. And that's what we have. That's it for the introduction. Short and sweet. James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. You see, James is kind of like an ER doctor. If you ever have to go to the emergency room, uh, when the doctor walks in, there isn't much small talk, isn't there? They might say, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and that's it. Why? Because you're hurting, and you want relief, and you want to know what's going on, and so the doctor's going to try to assess what's going on. You can small talk later, but right now we're getting to the issue, to the point. And, and James is the same way here. He, he jumps right in with both feet, talking about something that we all have in common, that is trials and problems. In fact, when you look at the next verse, after he says greetings, the very next Two words are very important. It says in verse 2, my brethren. Implied they're brothers and sisters. He's talking to believers. He's talking to followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're reminded here today that yes, children of God, followers of Jesus, they have trials. They have problems. They have issues. If someone told you something like this, listen, you come to Jesus Give your life to Jesus and your whole rest of your earthly life will be sunshine and roses. They lied to you. I'm sorry, but they lied to you. Now, it's true that he promised us a safe landing and he promised us eternal bliss, but he never promised us smooth sailing every day. In fact, he said the opposite. The Lord Jesus said what? In this world, you shall have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials. You're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. And when you think about it, did you realize that actually being a Christian can bring even more trials and more issues and more problems in your life? You say, why? Well, because you're different. You don't just fit in with the world. You don't just go along with the system. The Bible says you're a stranger. You're a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. You're just passing through. 
And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new home, you have a new master, you have new desires. Your home is in heaven, but your current address is here. And while we live in this fallen world, we're going to have trials and issues and problems and we need to understand how to handle those and understand how they can be a blessing to us, okay? So there's the introduction. Now let's talk about how to handle trials. As a Christian, how do you handle trials? Look with me, beginning there at verse 2, and we'll read down through verse 11. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Now always hesitate to label messages how to do, do this and how to do that because I don't want to belittle the Scripture or turn it into a little magic formula that we, we use. And I don't want to belittle your problems and your trials and your issues. And furthermore, this is not all the Bible says about trials and problems and issues, uh, but there's much here that will help us. So for a lack of a better term, a lack of a better title, I'm going to just call this How to Handle Trials. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to take the message today and apply it to your heart and your life and your situation. Now, there are three things that I see here in this passage when it comes to handling trials. And by the way, I want you to notice this was very broad. It says into various trials. And so it covers lots of problems, lots of issues. There's all kinds of problems. There's all kinds of trials. And so if you're a Christian, he's talking about your trial today, whatever that is. Uh, if you're reading the King James, you see it's the word temptation. But in this instance, it's referring to trials or testings. And so three things that we learn from this passage when it comes to how to handle our trials. Are you ready? Ready to jot down the first one? It's this. Think like a Christian. Think like a Christian. Now, that's a point that needs to be heralded in our churches like never before. To tell Christians, listen, think like a Christian. But we're talking about trials. Troubles, issues. And I want you to notice it says in verse 2, and verse 2 is a very challenging verse. It's a very interesting verse. It says, my brethren, imply my brothers and sisters, count it all joy. And notice it says, when you fall into trials, not if you fall. This is not an if situation. It's a when. It's going to come. When you fall into various trials. It's been said you're either in a trial right now, you're just coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial. Isn't that a blessing? Aren't you glad you came today to get that word of encouragement? Trials are real and they're coming. And he says here, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, count it all joy. And when he says the word there, count, he's not talking necessarily about numbers or a character off of Sesame Street. That word means to consider. It means to regard. 
If you see it that way, if you're reading the NASB, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The NIV says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. If you're reading the NLT, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, whatever verse you're reading, it's an incredible verse. In fact, it seems unbelievable. It seems undoable. It's saying this, be joyful when trials come. Seriously, that's what it says. Consider it all joy. Be joyful when trials come. But listen, you've got to think like a Christian. Remember that word count or consider. It's not dealing with how you feel. It's dealing with how you think. Consider it, regard it, evaluate it. Think about it in regards to being joyful. And notice it says here, joy. Consider it all joy. By the way, you know you can't control how you feel always, but you can steer the way you think. So he's not saying feel joyful necessarily, but think and consider yourself and choose to be joyful. And that word joy there is important as well. Why? Because joy is different from happiness. Happiness is fickle. It depends upon what happens. And so if good things happen, you're happy. If bad things happen, you're unhappy. But joy is stable. It's settled. It's a settled reality based upon the goodness of God. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me today. I don't want anybody to misunderstand the Scripture. The Holy Spirit writing through James is not saying, He's not saying this, be happy when your dog dies, when your car engine blows up, when your girlfriend breaks up with you and you break your arm. Be happy about that. That's not what he's saying at all. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying just whistle and put on a plastic smile and walk around singing, don't worry, be happy. He's not saying that. This verse works, beloved, when you're not happy. This verse works when you're sad, when you're heartbroken, when you're hurting, and when you're lonely. Why? Because it's not based upon how you feel. It's not based upon feelings. It's based upon facts. It's a conscious choice to choose joy in the midst of problems and issues and trials you're going through. It's thinking like a Christian. It's recognizing that in the midst of all these problems you're having, God is still on the throne, God is still in control, and He has your good and His glory in mind. It's knowing that even though God does not directly cause every trial in your life, He does allow every trial in your life to come to you. Uh, these trials are filtered through His loving hands and perfect wisdom. It's knowing that God uses these trials to mature us and to make us more like Jesus. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The testing of your faith. These trials, these testings, it, it leads to patience. You see, our faith is tested. It's proved that it's genuine. You remember the old saying that a, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And so our faith is tested to show that it is true faith. We really are believers. We really do trust God. But our faith is also tested in order to strengthen it. It produces patience or endurance or perseverance. You see, when you abide under that trial, that trouble, that pressure, when you allow it to do what uh, God wants it to do in your life, look at what it does in verse 4. It says, but let patience have its perfect work, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, the trial is supposed to help you become perfect and complete. That doesn't mean perfect as in sinless. doesn't mean you don't make a mistake. It's the idea of maturity and growth. Jot this reference down. Jot down the reference 1 Peter 5.10. I'm going to read it for you. 1 Peter 5.10 says it this way. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, listen, after you've suffered a while, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. 1 Peter 5.10. Now, beloved, if we're not careful, we think like someone who's not a Christian when it comes to trials. We think like any pagan person would think. In other words, when a trial comes, our first thought is, help, get me out of this. Make it stop. Deliver me. But listen, we're thinking like Christians. And when we think like Christians, it says here, we're to consider it, think about it as an opportunity for growth and a choice for joy. We've got to get to the point as Christians, and this is, this is good preaching and hard living, we've got to get to the point where we want growth in Christ-likeness more than we want deliverance. We want growth more than deliverance. So the first thing we do to handle trials from this passage is we think like a Christian. We choose to think and choose joy. Second thing I see here, we need to pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. One of the greatest needs we often have in the midst of our trials is wisdom. We need wisdom in handling the trial. We need wisdom in learning from the trial. Um, Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberty and without reproach, and it will be given him. Look at the goodness of God here, beloved. He tells us if you need wisdom, Christian, if you need wisdom, ask me for wisdom. And notice the goodness of God and his generosity. It says, let him ask of God who gives to all. He'll give you wisdom. And then notice the generosity of God. It says, who gives to all how? Liberally. Not just a little bit of wisdom. I'll give you the wisdom you need. And then notice what else. Notice the goodness of God. It says he gives us all liberally and without reproach. In other words, when we come to God and we need wisdom, he doesn't bawl us out because we like wisdom. He doesn't condemn us because we don't know the answers. He doesn't find fault with us. No, it says he gives it without reproach. He gives it to us generally in goodness This is another blessing when it comes to trials and problems. They drive us to prayer. They drive us to God. At least they should. Now be honest. Let me give you a situation. When would you be more likely to pray? When it's a sunshiny day or when you get bitten by a rattlesnake? Now be honest. When are you more likely to pray and pray more fervently? Tomorrow morning. We have rattlesnakes around here, don't we? Do we? I was going to put a picture of a rattlesnake. I said, I'm not going to do that, no. Um, that would upset some people. But anyway, if tomorrow you got bitten by any, or if you used any snake, what are you going to do? You're going to pray, aren't you? God help me. 
A lot of you just saw a snake, you'd pray, wouldn't you? He says here, ask and you'll receive. Now notice the conditions that are laid down. Chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So we've got to be careful here of doubt. Look at verse 7. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now when it says to ask in faith and no doubting, he's not saying, your beloved, we have to have perfect faith. He's saying we have to have real faith. Single faith. We can even pray like the one, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. The idea here is we're not trying to figure it out on our own and asking God for his blessings upon our pitiful efforts. We're not trying to hold on to the world's wisdom of one hand and then asking God for his wisdom and then saying, well, which one really makes more sense? That is being a double-minded person, being unstable. It's not holding on to the world with one hand and God with the other, being double-minded. No, uh, that's being tossed about like a wave on the open ocean and you're up and down and everywhere. And there's no stability. There's no joy. There, it, your life is just a wreck. No, this is faithful prayer to an all-wise, generous, sovereign God for help and wisdom. It's a declaration of dependence. It's a confession of need. It's going to God saying, listen, God, this is going on in my life. You know this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I need wisdom. I need direction. I need strength. I'm crying out to you and I'm trusting you that you're going to help me and give me what I need in this time. It's a devoted faith. And beloved, if trials did nothing else but drive us to prayer, they are a blessing. They did nothing else but cause us to pray more. They're a blessing. And so see how trials and problems, they're a blessing if we handle them correctly. And so number one, if you're in a trial, you need to think like a Christian. Number two, you need to pray for wisdom. Number three, this gets a little bit challenging, you've got to remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Um, we often think about the gospel at the beginning of our journey of faith. And we all need the gospel at the beginning of our journey of faith to understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to understand our need of saving faith in Christ. We should repent of our sin, turn from our sin and place our faith in Christ. And if we'll do that, we are forgiven and made a child of God. But we often forget that we need the gospel every day of our lives. We need to remember every day that our standing with God is not based upon our performance, how well we're doing, but upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've got to remember also, beloved, that the gospel does not end the moment that we place our faith in Christ. It has eternal ramifications. Because of what Jesus did, we're going to spend eternity with him. We have eternal life. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for, watch this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We've got to remember the gospel. And we come to verse 9, and here's where it gets a little bit confusing, because he's talking about trials and praying for wisdom. And we get to verse 9, and he starts talking about a poor man and a rich man. And we start thinking, well, is he changing subjects here? Are we going to a different topic? No. I believe he's sticking with the same theme he's been talking about. 
And he uses these as an example. And he mentions the lowly person first, verse 9. Let the lowly brother or sister implied glory in his exaltation. That's another verse. That seems so weird. He's already told us, listen, when you're having trouble, rejoice. Now he's saying, listen, if you're poor, rejoice in your exaltation. And you're sitting there thinking, what does he mean? Well, lowly here means poor. It means poor financially. And because you're poor financially, it probably means you're poor socially. You're, you're not really well known. You're, you're in a poor situation. Perhaps some of these that are reading this, remember this was written to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Maybe some of them, they were scattered abroad because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 talks about that. The persecution that came and they were scattered throughout. But for whatever reason, he's talking to those believers reading this or hearing this who found themselves poor. And by the way, poverty is a trial within itself, isn't it? That's a trial within itself. And then on top of that, sometimes when trials come, they lead to poverty. They lead to poorness. How many folks do you know? Maybe they had a health, major health issue come and it impacted them tremendously, financially. But he tells them here to glory in their exaltation. What do you mean, James? Well, what he's saying there, beloved, and it goes back to the first point too, think like a Christian, he's telling them the glory in who they are in Christ. Glory in who they are in Christ. Drop this reference down. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He became poor that you might become rich. What's he saying to these poor brothers and sisters? He's saying this, listen, you might be poor here, but in Christ you are spiritually wealthy. Remember who you are in Christ. You're a son or daughter of God. You're an heir and joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's important, beloved, in the midst of trials to keep an eternal perspective. And then he turns around and talks to the rich. Look at what it says there to the rich. Now, these are those that are better off materially. And he tells them to rejoice in their humiliation. Verse 10. But the rich in his humiliation. What in the world does that mean? Well, you realize that any person that comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have to humble themselves. They have to admit their spiritual bankruptcy. And they have to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Rich people have to admit that their material possessions mean nothing when it comes to their eternal destiny and their salvation. They can't save themselves. They can't buy their salvation. It will not truly help them spiritually. They've got to admit their spiritual bankruptcy and acknowledge that they are not sufficient. Their money is not sufficient to save them. And he says, listen, brothers and sisters, if you're rich, rejoice in your humiliation. Remember that you've humbled yourself and you have repented and turned from your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because then he goes on to talk about the brevity of life. Look at what it says at the end of that passage we read. Verse 10, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, 
he'll pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. In other words, beloved, life is short. Life is short. And we need to remember that. Remember that because of the gospel, we're going to live with Jesus forever. And beloved, it's a blessing when it comes to trials, isn't it, to remember that they're not going to last forever. That this life is short. The brevity of life. In fact, jot this reference down. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, Anybody understand that? Did you heard anywhere else new this morning? You're cracking and popping in new places? You're hurting? The outward man is perishing. There's new gray hair. There's no hair. There's hair you don't want it to be places. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the spiritual person, is being renewed day by day. Now listen to the next verse. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen, for the things which are seen are temporary, like the flower of the field and the grass, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Remember the gospel. The gospel that saves you. The gospel that gives you eternal life that allows you to honestly deal with your sin before the Lord because your standing with God is not based upon your performance, but upon the finished work of Christ. And remember that life is short and no matter what you're dealing with, poor or rich, your true glory is found not in that circumstance, not in that condition, but it's in Christ. And this life is short. We're going to spend eternity with Christ. And so the question this morning for all of us is this. What are your current problems? And don't answer out loud. We don't have time to hear all of them today. So I know there's a, a myriad of them. Sometimes you ask people how they're doing and they tell you. But what are your problems? Think about it in your own heart, your own life. This is one of the discussion things I'm going to give you this week for your family. What are the things you're currently facing? And think about them for a moment and then ask these questions. Number one, are you thinking about them like a Christian? Do you desire growth more than deliverance? Number two, are you praying for wisdom in the midst of that problem? Are you asking God for wisdom and help and strength? Number three, are you remembering the gospel in the midst of those problems? Remembering where your true glory and value really lies in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, beloved, that, uh, trials are a blessing to a Christian if they're handled correctly. If they're handled biblically. If we decide to grow and get better rather than resent and get bitter. Trials are a blessing. Now, this is one of those truths you have to pray and ask the Lord to seal it to your heart because on the surface it just doesn't make sense. In fact, the memory verse we talked about this week is, is where it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And that's just, that's just hard to even fathom, isn't it? When the problem comes, to say, Lord, thank you. But when you begin to think about what God is doing in that trial and through that trial to make you more like Jesus you see that it is a blessing. 
And might I just add, furthermore, we talk about the brevity of life. These trials help to make us more homesick for heaven. One of the great needs we have today is to get our eyes off of here and get our eyes on there. The songwriter said, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials come up to only make me strong. I've been to lots of places. I've seen a lot of faces. There's been times I felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus lets me know that I was His own. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. I thank God for the mountains. And I thank Him for the valleys. I thank Him for the storms He brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Let's pray. Father, this is rich truth, vital truth, but hard truth for us to fathom and process. Help us, Lord, to think like Christians, to have the mind of Christ who even considered it joy as He endured the cross because He saw it was on the other side of the cross. And Father, I pray for us today. Every person in this room, first of all, if there's anyone here who does not know Christ, I pray that you'll save them today. And then for the great majority here who know you, they're your son or daughter, Lord, all of us are facing troubles and trials and problems. We need your help, Father. Help us to look at it with your eyes and your perspective. Help us to, to grow in these matters and not just scream out for deliverance, but to scream out for your presence and your help and your wisdom, to cry aloud for growth and for faith and for trust. Help us to remember the gospel. Help us to know that this is not all there is. Help us, Lord, through these trials and troubles to grow more and more homesick for heaven. That we'll set our affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Strengthen anyone here today who may be really, really struggling and really having a difficult time and an issue in their life. Teach us the lessons. Help us to learn them. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to love you, to walk with you every day for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn this morning, if you need to be saved, we would love to help you with that. You may come down. The altar is open. If you want to come and pray about an issue or problem in your life, if, if we can pray with you about that, we'd love to do that. The Bible's clear that we should pray one for another and build up one another and help one another. Our closing hymns, 280, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. So let me encourage you, take that little guide with you and talk about that in your family.
And let this be the beginning of something fresh and new in your family as you process the truth together and not only process it, but put it into practice in your family's life. 280, Jesus, keep me near the cross. The altar is open. You come, beloved. Let's stand together and sing.